Well, hello. You're listening to The Jazz Focus, and my name is John Clark. Happy to be back with you. Happy you're back with me. Hope you've been enjoying these programs as we've been doing them over the last few months. The topic of our focus today is Pee Wee Russell, the great clarinet player known uh, known as Pee Wee. His real name was Charles Ellsworth Russell. He was born in Missouri and raised in the Oklahoma area. Born in 1906 and uh, learned how to play violin, drums, piano as, as a boy, but didn't really exhibit any particular enthusiasm for music until he was introduced to clarinet. And uh, he was uh, early on exposed to the playing of a New Orleans player named Alcide Nunez, Yellow Nunez. Uh, this was a band that was traveling uh, through his area. I guess his father brought him to a vaudeville show, and uh, he was completely taken with this clarinet player. The band that he had been playing with, Nunez, uh, was a Dixieland band from New Orleans, but it did not have a trumpet, so the clarinet played the melody. So it was a little bit different, and Russell was really attracted to the forthrightness, I guess, of Nunez's playing and the fact that he was improvising on popular songs. This was a new concept for young Charles Ellsworth. Well, he uh, began taking clarinet lessons after that and uh, went on to uh, military school and uh, a couple of other places where he took clarinet and saxophone lessons, played in bands, and actually uh, developed quite a good technique on his instrument. Sometimes uh, people have accused him of being a, uh, a primitive, I guess, in terms of musical ability, and that's how his improvisations took on the very special cast that they had. But he really uh, knew how to play clarinet especially. He knew how to play saxophones too and he, he had a thorough grounding in technique and a lot of the unusual twists and turns of his melodic sense and the different colors he brought out of his clarinet playing the growls and the swoops and the smears and so forth were not born of technical uh, limitations but uh, were, were colors that he introduced uh, quite intentionally and there are examples of him playing straight melodies with a very beautiful tone and uh, he also of course played throughout the depression throughout the 1920s and then into the depression era and made his living as a professional dance band musician so clearly he was talented in that uh, regard he could read music he uh, could uh, solo fluently obviously and had many abilities as a doubler and uh, quite a bit of talent and abilities uh, to keep him going in the lean times. In the 1920s, he was um, uh, playing in the Midwest and in the Chicago area. He was uh, playing in bands that uh, included people like Big Spiderback, Jack Teagarden, uh, a little bit later, he went to New York. He played with some Red Nichols groups. He played in the pits of some shows um, and made quite a few interesting recording dates with Red Nichols and um, Pee Wee, uh, excuse me, with Bix and with Frank Trumbauer and uh, a little bit later uh, with the Rhythm Makers, which was a, an early mixed group of black and white players that uh, uh, made a whole series of recordings in 1932. And he was featured on clarinet on one of the sessions and tenor sax on another. Uh, Red Allen was part of that, as was Tommy Dorsey, Fats Waller, Sudie Singleton, Pops Foster, a uh, really neat vocalist named uh, Billy Banks, who was out of the Cab Calloway tradition, one of the early scat singers. And that was uh, uh, an early indication of, of some of uh, Pee Wee Russell's broader tastes. He was pretty much recognized as being colorblind in the sense of uh, race not mattering to him. And there were musicians, uh, black musicians, who felt that he uh, really would have transcended race and that he was not uh, a typical example of a white musician who, even if they espoused 
principles of brotherhood and integration and so forth were still sort of separated from the uh, African-American musicians they might have played with. And indeed, it wasn't common for black and white musicians to play together on the bandstand until the very late 30s and early 40s. And even then, it wasn't all that common until uh, much later as well. It was a little bit more common for these musicians to play together in recording studios, citing the, the rhythm maker sides in 1932, and there were other ones as well. We're going to hear um, two sessions that feature Pee Wee Russell, one of which he led and the other which he was extensively featured on. Uh, the first one is the one under his leadership, and it's an interesting session because it has a mixed group. It was from 1936, and it was the first recording released on HRS, the Hot Record Society label. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, and Pee Wee Russell was tapped to lead that session, and this was his first experience as a band leader on record, and um, the notes to the, the, the recording or the CD that uh, Mosaic put out of all of the Hot Record Society records says that Pee Wee showed up very prepared. He had uh, the routines set up, uh, the tunes picked out, uh, he knew the musicians he, he was going to be working with, he had picked those himself, and uh, he ran the session very efficiently. Uh, indeed, they had four uh, band tracks that came out. We're going to hear for, uh, those four tracks plus two alternate takes, and then two trio tracks as well. And Pee-wee uh, presumably uh, picked this uh, band, or handpicked this band, which was pretty evenly divided between white and black musicians. And uh, we're going to be talking about those musicians in just a second as well. So this is a good example of uh, early Dixieland revival, uh, you'd have to say. Now, Pee Wee Russell was not terribly well known in 1936, except to jazz aficionados. He'd made some fine records with, as I said, Red Nichols and um, Louis Prima, especially. He was he had worked several years with Lee, or, or a good year, year and a half with Louis Prima's band, which made some fabulous jazz recordings uh, around this time, 1936 or so, and he had developed a reputation among jazz fans for that. Also, people knew that he was an, uh, an intimate of many of the Chicago musicians. He didn't actually play as part of that Chicago cadre of musicians. Uh, Frank Tushmarker was the clarinet player of choice there, and he passed away in an auto accident, uh, leaving the field open for other clarinet players once uh, most of those Chicago musicians had relocated to New York. And Pee Wee Russell sort of assumed the, uh, the mantle of, of the clarinet player of choice for that group. So we're going to uh, hear a little bit about this band. This is Pee Wee Russell's Rhythm Makers, and uh, the trumpet player in here was one who uh, would play very frequently with Pee Wee in the years to come, Max Kaminsky, who was a native of Brockton, Massachusetts, who had had most of his early playing experiences in the Boston area, although he ended up moving to Chicago for a brief period in the late 20s where he made the acquaintance of a lot of those Chicago musicians and picked up some of the finer points of the style, I guess. He was back in New York by the early 30s, he made a, a recording with the uh, Chocolate Dandies with um, uh, Benny Carter and Chew Berry, among others. And then he started playing with big bands. He played with the first version of the Glenn Miller Band. He played with just about the first version of the Artie Shaw Band, the Begin the Begin the ba Band. He played a little bit with Benny Goodman's Band. He was... Um, with the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra very early on, 1936 or so. Uh, I believe at the time these sessions were being made, he was a, a featured member both in the big band and with the Clambake 7. You can hear some of the recordings that he made on a podcast I made a while back of the Clambake 7. And uh, he started uh, becoming associated with the Eddie Condon mob, the Eddie Condon group uh, that was playing at... Uh, 
uh, Jimmy Ryan's and then Nick's and then later on Eddie Condon's clubs uh, in the uh, Greenwich Village in New York, uh, starting in the late 1930s, but then going up really until oh, about the 1970s or so. And Max Kaminsky had a long life. He lived from 1908 to 1994, and he was associated with this school of Chicago Dixieland playing as well, even though he wasn't really um, a born and bred Chicago musician. A little bit later on, he went back to Boston. He played in the society bands of Lester Lamb and Jackie Marshard, but periodically he would come back uh, to New York to make some uh, Dixieland and Eddie Condon style dates. He recorded with um, uh, Sidney Bechet and many, many others as well. He spent World War II playing in Artie Shaw's Navy band touring the South Pacific, and uh, when he came back to the United States, he tried to open a club in Copley Square in Boston with Pee Wee Russell. Um, didn't go very well, but the music was excellent, and uh, there were some live recordings when they were playing at the Copley uh, Plaza Hotel as well. So he was the trumpet player in this band. Uh, Dickie Wells was an African-American trombone player who was not known as a Dixieland player at all, uh, but he obviously fits into this session quite well. At the time, he was just about to go with Count Basie's band, a little bit before he joined that group. He had been playing with uh, Teddy Hill's band. He had played with Fletcher Henderson's band a little bit before that. He broke into uh, uh, the New York scene playing with the Lloyd Scott band in the late 1920s and early 1930s. Made some fine recordings in Europe while he was with the Teddy Hill group. And then, of course, as I said, went with the Basie band and stayed with him for nine or ten years. And then uh, became a, uh, a, a mainstream jazz musician playing in combos and... Uh, uh, big band revivals and so forth going up into the 1960s. I believe he's on a uh, couple of the James Brown albums uh, where he used a big band as well. Then on piano, we have the dean of the Harlem Stride pianist, James P. Johnson, who uh, was born in New Jersey. He's the oldest musician we have here, 1894 to 1955. He was influenced by some of the ragtime players, Lee Blake, for example, but he evolved uh, into what we would call a stride pianist, a much more jazzy, um, looser, blues-based pianist who nevertheless utilized the technique of the ragtime players. And some of his early show pieces, like Carolina Shout, became uh, test pieces for all stride pianists, including Fats Waller and um, Duke Ellington and even Count Basie a little bit later. James P. Johnson in the 1920s directed many um, Broadway or, or off-Broadway Harlem shows, uh, wrote a great deal of music. Um, he even tried his hand out at some classical compositions. Yamacraw was one. He was responsible for the music of a um, an opera called The Organizer, which uh, the uh, libretto was by Langston Hughes. That was from the mid-30s. In 1929, he was the music director for the film that Bessie Smith made of the St. Louis Blues, and that was, in, in a way, kind of almost a classical approach as well. By the late 1930s, 1936 and on, he was playing in clubs all over um, uh, 52nd Street in New York, and uh, periods of ill health in the 40s uh, slowed him down a little bit, but he would come back periodically and play some great uh, uh, music as a solo and as a band pianist as well. He recorded with some of the Eddie Condon groups, and he was uh, uh, Max Kaminsky's piano player in the late 40s and some of the club work that he did. On bass and guitar in this band, 
unusual pick, but a very interesting pick. Uh, Pee Wee picked the guitarist and the bass player from the Count Basie Band of 1936. We have Freddie Green and Walter Page. Freddie Green uh, had joined the Basie Band not too long before these sides were recorded and basically stayed with him for the rest of his career for 50 years playing rhythm guitar. Uh, on one of the tracks we're going to hear is a great rarity, a Freddie Green guitar solo. Didn't do many of those over the course of 50 years, but we have one today. Walter Page, known as the Biggin, uh, was born in 1900, and he was famous in Kansas City for leading the Blue Devils, uh, Walter Page's Blue Devils, one of the classic bands of that period that had everybody in it at one point or another. Hot Lips Page, Count Basie, Herschel Evans, uh, Lester Young, Buster Smith, all sorts of people, Jimmy Rushing. Uh, he joined the uh, Benny Moten Band in about 1930 or so, made those great sides that the Moten Band made in New York in 1932, and then he stayed uh, with that group group of musicians after Moten died, and Basie kind of took over the group, and then he came to New York eventually with the Count Basie Band in 1936. Rounding out the rhythm section is the great New Orleans drummer, Zooty Singleton, who was born in 1898. He uh, had played on the riverboats uh, when he was growing up in New Orleans. He had played in Chicago with the Carol Dickerson Band, with Louis Armstrong's big bands. Uh, played with Doc Cook for a little while. Very fine percussionist, but was much better known as a small group drummer, which... Uh, he did all through the 30s, 40s, 50s, really for the rest of his career. He drummed in many great uh, New Orleans-styled bands and Dixieland bands, what have you. So that's the group, Pee Wee Russell's Rhythm Makers. So we'll tell you a little bit more about the Hot Record Society and this particular record date when we listen to a few. We're going to listen to four tunes right now. We're going to listen to Dinah. Great hit from 1925, and a, and a standard from this uh, period. Uh, we also are going to hear a, a sort of a casual blues called Zooty's Hootie Blues, with a vocal by Zooty Singleton, to my knowledge the only one on record by Zooty Singleton. And then we're going to hear two different takes of Baby Won't You Please Come Home, and this highlights uh, the evolution of a performance and a recording date. We have roughly the same arrangement, but two different tempos, a faster and then a much more relaxed tempo after that. We're going to hear some interesting variations between the two takes, especially by Pee Wee Russell, who is definitely the main solo interest in this band. His playing was rarely captured better than on here. The, the sound quality is not superb, but you really get the sense of what he sounded like and the, the excellent sound that he had and all of the different colorations and, and things that he could put into a jazz solo. So four tunes, Dinah, Zooty's Hootie Blues, and Baby Won't You Please Come on Home, two takes.
So there we have Pee Wee Russell and his Rhythm Makers, first four sides. I'd been saying they were recorded in 1936. I was wrong. I meant to say 1938. These were recorded on August 31st of 1938, and they were the first sessions recorded for and released by the label uh, started by Steve Smith called the Hot Record Society, HRS. And it was initially done, I think, as a subscription series. Uh, people who were interested in hot jazz, um, the mandate of the company was to make new recordings rather than re-release old ones and over the course of oh about eight years eight nine years or so uh, there were many uh, sessions they tended more towards the mainstream uh, type of things quite a few african-american uh, musicians who didn't record much on on or get much solo space on other um recordings from that period were featured quite extensively on uh, Hot Record Society uh, releases. People like Bud Johnson and Joe Thomas and even some of the Ellingtonians. Uh, Harry Carney got some wonderful recordings in there. Brick Flegel, the guitar player, led several sessions. Rex Stewart, um, Jack Teagarden uh, led a session. But this was the first one, Pee Wee Russell and his Rhythm Makers. I neglected to mention one player, mainly because we don't know much about him. There was another horn player on this date. He played tenor sax and we heard him play a full a solo on each of the takes of Baby Won't You Please Come Home. There's a man named Al Gold, and the only uh, thing we know about him, or I know about him, was that he played with Joe Marsala's band on 52nd Street at the time. This apparently was his only recording session, at least during the classic jazz era. Perhaps later in life he did. I don't know. I haven't heard any more about him, but he seemed to be a somewhat reticent but effective soloist uh, on this. this was his own, those were his only solos during this date. Uh, you can hear him pop up in an ensemble role once in a while, but not too much. So we heard uh, Dinah, which featured, first of all, a wonderful piano solo by James P. Johnson. Very humorous, both comments on, on Yes, We Have No Bananas and a couple of other things in there. A very characteristic, growly, rough-edged solo by Pee Wee Russell. Um, and a little bit of trombone and trumpet in there, too. Short solos uh, by Max Kaminsky and also Dickie Wells on trombone. Dickie Wells is much better featured on Zooty's Hootie Blues uh, from the next uh, the next thing we heard. Started out with some Pee Wee Russell on there um, and then went to a full chorus of trombone with Dickie Wells leading into Zooty Singleton's vocal, which was helped by some more trombone in the background. Dickie Wells was a remarkable accompanist to what many of the basic recordings featuring Jimmy Rushing also featured Dickie Wells playing a trombone obligato in the background and we hear a little bit of the prototype of that right here. Then we heard our two takes of Baby Won't You Please Come Home again featuring Al Gold but featuring some excellent uh uh, Pee Wee Russell, especially on both takes, not repeating himself in either place. Same with James P. Johnson. Uh, very different uh, attacks on the melody. The tempo was was different enough that it, it, it sort of gave a different vibe to the performance. The arrangement was basically the same, but the slowed down tempo on that second version really brought out, I think, some much more interesting playing. So we're going to listen to the balance of that recording session coming up next. There are, uh, there's really only one band side left, but two takes of that. The venerable Chicago anthem, There Will Be Some Changes Made, one of the first recordings made by the Austin High School gang in Chicago, and it was a jazz staple ever after. So we're going to hear uh, Pee Wee Russell's Rhythm Makers tear this one apart in two different takes, again hearing two very different Pee Wee solos on there, interesting to compare. Then we're going to 
play the two trio tracks that rounded out this recording session. They sent the horn players home and the uh, the bass and guitar and left James P. Johnson, Zudi Singleton, and Pee Wee Russell to record two tunes. I found a new baby, and everybody loves my baby. And the re- record uh, cites the uh, performers on here as being uh, Pee Wee, Zudi, and James P. That was the name of the band, although it was re-released uh, at some point under the title of the James P. Johnson Trio. But interesting interplay here, and Zudi Singleton gets to stretch out on both of these numbers on drums. There's one particularly effective place where he and Pee Wee Russell are, are essentially doing a duet, but nothing like the Gene Krupa and Benny Goodman duets. Something very much more interactive and conversational, I think. So let's listen to these four sides. There'll be some changes made, takes one and two. I found a new baby, and everybody loves my baby. Thank you. 
Well, that was the balance of the Pee Wee Russell Rhythm Makers session from August of 1938. So, we heard there'll be some changes made in two different takes, and indeed there were some changes made between the two takes. Uh, the tempo was a little bit different. Uh, the first take had a trumpet solo by Max Kaminsky. He was not known as a soloist, but he does a very effective job here, and on uh, some of the other tracks we've heard as well, playing very direct, middle-range solos, inventive. Uh, he was often uh, just want to solo on the melody when he played uh, solos later in his life, but this, these were real improvisations. Um, and then there was a drum solo followed by two out choruses. Nice performance, but the next performance really kicked it up a notch. Instead of the trumpet, we have a James P. Johnson piano solo for a chorus with a drum solo that increases in intensity, and then two choruses that just really build to quite a climax at the end. That was definitely the right right, right take for a, for a master take there. Then we heard the two trio performances. I Found a New Baby and Everybody Loves My Baby, although we really didn't hear the melody on either one of them. Uh, they just started right out improvising, or Pee Wee did anyway. Uh, we had clarinet followed by piano on I Found a New Baby, then that drum-clarinet interchange I had mentioned earlier. There was some piano interjection in there as well, but it was mostly a duet between Zudi Singleton and Pee Wee Russell. And uh, Zudi Singleton was really showing off in this session at, uh, how effective a soloist he could be without being bombastic or noisy or, or over the top, really playing with the band, as the New Orleans drummers were, were, were noted for, Baby Dodds and, and Zooty Singleton especially. Then Everybody Loves My Baby has a couple of clarinet choruses in, piano and drums, very effective performance on the way out. So that's Pee Wee Russell and his Rhythm Makers. So our next uh, venture into uh, Pee Wee Russelliana from this period is also from 1938. I'm not kidding you this time. It really is from 1938. This is uh, four months later, uh, December 21st of 1938, and these session or this particular session was uh, called the Rhythm Cats, and it was not known for quite a while. In fact, in some editions of the Brian Rust discography, it's not even listed at all. Uh, these were recorded for Thesaurus Transcriptions. These, this was a transcription service you might know better from having recorded Benny Goodman in that famous uh, series of recordings in 1935, right before he hit it big. Um, 51 sides were recorded. 51 one songs, one right after the other, pretty much. It might have been in two dates or two sessions or something like that, but no retakes. They just banged them right out as if they were on a, uh, a dance gig. And it was a significant part of the Goodman book at the time. Very, very well done. Uh, and these uh, Thesaurus recordings were used to sell to radio stations as part of prepackaged radio programs. And it wasn't just jazz. There was a classical program that uh, made use of recordings that had been made by Arthur Fiedler of the Boston Pops. Uh, there were uh, vocal recordings recordings made. Uh, generally, they were all done with pseudonyms. The Benny Goodman uh, band was called the Thesaurus Rhythm Makers. I think the um, Artie Shaw band did a, a, another series of Thesaurus Rhythm Makers. Uh, this Rhythm Cats was obviously a Dixieland group, and uh, one of the programs that was issued under the Thesaurus name or licensed to radio stations was called Music in Manhattan, and I believe that this Dixieland uh, was part of that program. Don't know too much about that, but that's my best guess. 
So we're pretty sure what the personnel is on of this band. It was, uh, I guess, ostensibly led by Bobby Hackett on cornet. Bobby Hackett was just coming to the fore in 1936, 37, 38 as a soloist. He had, at the beginning of 1938, been featured uh, in the role of Bix Beiderbecke at the uh, Benny Goodman Carnegie Hall concert, uh, where um, they did a little short history of jazz, and Bobby Hackett recreated the Bix solo on I'm Coming Virginia. But he had recorded with a number of other groups before then Adrian Rolini, Teddy Grace, the Andrews Sisters, uh, and a number of others besides. But in 1938, he had put together a, a Dixieland group. No other way to put that. Um, and it was mostly the people we're going to hear on this recording. Uh, they made a couple of commercial sides. They made some uh, vocal accompaniments. They can be seen on uh, film from that period, the Saturday Night Swing Club. There are a couple of uh, uh, films of the Bobby Hackett group playing um, some Dixieland repertoire there, and uh, a little bit later they they recorded in some some with some personnel shifts in in for Commodore and different places as well. So who is in this band? We have Bobby Hackett on cornet, Brad Gowans, the very underrated valve trombone player and arranger from Boston. He also played saxophone, clarinet, cornet, piano, all kinds of things. Very interesting musician. He is featured on a few songs. There really are no uh, arrangements to speak of here. Um, this was obviously a, a sort of an industrial gig where they were just called in and asked to play uh, about eight, eight or nine tunes, one after the other. It doesn't sound like they probably did any retakes. This was just for commercial purposes. We have Pee Wee Russell on clarinet, of course. Ernie Cazares on baritone sax. Ernie Cazares is another one of those fine musicians, if you're familiar with Richard Sudhalter's book Lost Chords, where he talks about white musicians primarily. He got a lot of flack for doing that, but uh, he made a lot of very good points about musicians, one of which... Um, was about Ernie Cazares, who he said was one of the most underrated uh, white jazz musicians of the 30s and 40s, and I would agree. His baritone sax playing is really extraordinary. I, I got turned on to baritone sax by listening to him play uh, some mid-40s dates with Muggsy Spanier and Pee Wee Russell, which we may feature at some other point. We also have probably Dave Bowman on piano. He was the pianist with the Hackett Band at the time. And then, very likely, Andy Picardi on drums, who, again, was with the Hackett Band. Uh, the sound quality is a little bit hollow on these recordings, so if there is a bass player, he was probably Clyde Newcomb, for the same reason. And there's a remote possibility that Eddie Condon might be playing a little guitar in the background as well. So, this is a, a group of musicians who played together quite frequently at this point. Uh, had been doing club work on 52nd Street, but had been doing other things as well. And the repertoire that they recorded on... December 21st of 1938, uh, was pretty straight-ahead Dixieland, although they did nod to the original Dixieland jazz band in a couple of numbers. We're going to listen to one of those. A uh, couple of tunes that were not being recorded terribly often at the time, like Sensation, Skeleton Jangle, things like that. There's also a, a, a pop tune called Thinking of You, which was a 20s tune that uh, nobody recorded. I don't know why they decided to do that one. Um, we're not going to hear that because, frankly, it wasn't one of the better performances. We are going to hear here, five of the um, uh, 12 tunes that they recorded that day. We're going to start with Muskrat Ramble, go to Singing the Blues, and then we're going to end up that short set with Love is Just Around the Corner. And I'll talk about those tunes when we come back, but that's the set for uh, our next little moment coming up. This is the Rhythm Cats featuring Pee Wee Russell, Bobby Hackett, et al., Muskrat Ramble, Singing the Blues, and Love is Just Around the Corner.
Cats, uh, playing in December of 1938. Uh, I think uh, as good as Pee Wee Russell certainly is on these sessions, it's really taken by Bobby Hackett and Ernie Cazares. I think their, their, their performance on here is just extraordinary. We started out with the Muskrat Ramble, with the band playing basically the Louis Armstrong arrangement, although, as with some of the Dixieland tunes on this session, they truncated them a bit. They skipped repeats and, you know, gave solos to on certain strains to performers. They obviously didn't want these recordings going on more than two and a half minutes or so, so they, they telescoped them a bit. We did have some fine clarinet on there. I think we had a remarkable cornet solo, which really didn't refer to the melody or to Louis Armstrong. Uh, just really created something quite fresh and new on a tune that was a chestnut even by 1938. Then we had a valve trombone solo. Brad Gowans is also a very underrated soloist, very fine musician. As I said, he doubled on a lot of different instruments. When the original Dixieland Jazz Band was revived in the 1940s for some recordings, he was the clarinet player on many of the sessions. Um, show you how, how adept he was at many different instruments. And then we had Ernie Cazares playing a fine baritone sax solo after that. Then we went to a tune associated with Big Spiderbeck, Singing the Blues, Singing the Blues. However, uh, it does not reference the classic Bix and Frank Trumbauer arrangement or either of their solos for that matter. Uh, it was treated just as a tune the way it had been originally in 1920 uh, when the original Dixieland Jazz Band recorded it. Had an excellent clarinet solo up front. Again, no real melody to speak of until later on in the performance. Then a uh, an even more remarkable cornet solo, a muted uh, cornet solo by Bob Hackett that again does not reference the Bix solo at all. Nowadays if you play that tune you pretty much have to do that but in 1938 um, that was apparently not the case. Although Hackett did record the Bix solo with a, a group derived from the Horace Height band a little bit later. Then we had a chorus split between the valve trombone and the baritone sax, and actually uh, with the ensemble coming in on the last bit and taking it out. And the valve trombone solo by Brad Gowns is the only place where we really heard the melody in that whole performance. Then we finished up with Love is Just Around the Corner, which was a uh, pop tune from 1934 by Gensler and Robin, I believe. And uh, this had an interesting history with this group. Pee Wee Russell was featured uh, in a two-chorus solo on this tune in January of 1938, the same year we're talking about here, 11 months almost to the day before uh, this recording was made. That was the first recording made for Commodore Records uh, with the Eddie Condon Band, and Pee Wee Russell was heavily featured on that number. It became a feature of his for the rest of his life. This performance, he only takes one chorus. The tempo is a little bit faster, uh, and he really... Um, pulls out the stops. He played a much more technical solo than uh, was his his common uh, practice for most of his life. Usually he played very elemental, sparse solos, uh, colored with a lot of growls and swoops and smears and so forth, and he did that here, but with lots more notes in there as well. Then a marvelous baritone sax solo, which was... Uh, 
interrupted, if you will, on the bridge by a valve trombone uh, solo, but Ernie Cazares played a, a, a solo that did not lessen the intensity following the clarinet solo on this one. So a very, very fine band. We have two more recordings I want to play uh, from this group. I'm not playing them all. Some of them are, are fairly standard Dixieland fare, but these next two are uh, a little out of the box, shall we say. Uh, we're going to start with the Skeleton Jangle, which was a uh, tune that was recorded by the original Dixieland Jazz Band back in the late 1910s, some of the first jazz ever recorded. It was composed by the members of that band, Nick LaRocca, Larry Shields, Eddie Edwards, Tony Sparrow, and Henry Ragus. Uh, this was not a tune that was uh, revived by many bands, uh, Dixieland bands, or, or has been uh, since then. Uh, there is a recording of this by a Bobby Hackett and Miff Mole group, also featuring Pee Wee Russell, in the 1940s. But uh, this probably was pretty remarkable at the time that the band would tackle something this fairly obscure. Um, even though it was only 20 years old at the time, uh, there were many more... Um, famous and popular original Dixon and Jazz Band tunes. And we'll hear, again, a marvelous cornet solo that uh, is very much out of keeping with the, the Dixieland aesthetic of the original Dixieland Jazz Band, especially where the cornet was the melody player. Bobby Hackett is definitely an improviser here. Then we're going to finish off with yet another version of There'll Be Some Changes Made. Um, as I said, very standard Chicago anthem of this style of music, and we'll hear some good solos all around, and we will actually hear a piano solo by Dave Bowman on that one. So, skeleton jangle, and there'll be some changes made.
And there you have it. That's the Rhythm Cats from uh, December of 1938. And we just heard the Skeleton Jangle, which uh, featured solos by the Four Horns, clarinet, baritone sax, cornet, and valve trombone, with the uh, solo by the cornet, I think, taking honors there, just because it was so uh, musical, (laughs) which is not easy to do on a tune like that, especially from someone who's usually charged with taking the melody. Same thing on There'll Be Some Changes Made. The cornet solo was really just very understated and and supremely musical. It follows a piano solo by Dave Bowman. Aren't too many of those on record. He played with the Eddie Condon guys in the 1930s, middle 1930s, but then he sort of drifted away and uh, his place was taken by a number of other players. Dick Carey, uh, Gene Schreider, lots of other people. And then we ended up with a valve trombone solo and a jammed finale, as was the case with so many of these performances. So thank you very much again for joining us here on the Jazz Focus. We hope you've enjoyed the program. My name is John Clark, and uh, hope you've enjoyed the Pee Wee Wrestle program today. I don't know what the next one is going to be, turning around some ideas in my head. Also might point out that we have a sponsorship Uh, button here on our uh, podcast. If you are interested in helping us out and sponsoring the Jazz Focus to encourage us to do some more, please do so. If you'd like to contact uh, the Jazz Focus or John Clark, please check out my Facebook page or my Instagram page. Uh, Facebook is under my name, although you'd do better by checking out the Wolverine Jazz Band, W-O-L-V-E-R-I-N-E Jazz Band under Facebook and Instagram and also WolverineJazzBand.net. That's my band, and uh, you can check that out, but uh, that's the best way to get a message to me if you like what we're doing and uh, have any suggestions for future programs. So thank you very much, Jazz Focus and John Clark. We'll see you on the other side.